0: So we're in First John. Uh, we left off last week. I did not finish what I wanted to get to, and I know I won't finish today. So uh, we're going to be in um, verse uh, 15 of chapter 2 today, picking up where we left off. Reminds you quickly of the context of all of this, in case you've just joined us. The Apostle John's writing a letter on the back end of the first century, probably uh, late 80s, early 90s AD. He's writing to the area of what we call Asia Minor, Turkey. Uh, today. um, He's writing to um, the churches there who are struggling with false teaching, and the false teaching is what we call Gnosticism. It's just an insidious, really just wicked philosophy. It's a parasite philosophy. It attacks existing Belief systems, existing religions, existing groups that would attack them, latch itself to them, literally, kind of, I mean, figuratively, I should say, as as a as a philosophy that would just suck the life out of them. Uh, Gnosticism is based on an idea of dualism, that there is a separation between the physical and the spiritual. So what you do physically has no impact on your spiritual life. You'll see that more too today, and we get to some stuff here, that you can live as immoral a life as you want. It does not affect your relationship with. God, or what they viewed as God, they came into Christianity, uh, basically uh, liked the idea of Jesus, but because of their dualism, the separation of matter, and the physical and the spiritual, uh, they denied that Jesus was uh, God in the flesh. They said Jesus was a human, that the spirit of deity came upon him at his baptism and left him at before his crucifixion, and so they were able to have that separation fundamental to the salvation. Of a Gnostic is right knowledge. The Word Gnosticism comes from the word Gnosis, means knowledge, and you have to have the correct knowledge, which is a kind of a mystery, something that's hidden, uh, and, and no one ever, And all the studies that I've done on Gnosticism over all the years, I've never actually read what the knowledge is you have to have. So I, that is a mystery to everybody. Verse fifteen of chapter two. Then uh, having stuff that he just said, John then makes a very strong statement. Do not love the world or the things anyone, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, Sunday I preaching on John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world. This seems to be somewhat of a contradiction. We're also told to love God and love others. So you know, how do we understand this? Without going into great detail of what the meaning of the word love is, which I'll do Sunday, the word world, it's the word cosmos in the, in the Greek Uh, and it is cosmos not cosmos it's cosmos it has three fundamental ideas one is the world as we know it earth Uh, second is the world in just terms of humanity you know we we are the world you know and then the third is the world in opposition to God a culture of rebellion and evil Uh, it is in this third uh, understanding that John writes And, and most of the time Most of the time in the New Testament, unless the context dictates otherwise, it's in that third connotation. It is the culture. It is the essence, the philosophies of the world. And this would really be true in in terms of context of the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that you could live a worldly, secular life immoral life. What we would call it immoral, they wouldn't call it immoral, but what Christians would call it immoral, you could live and you could latch yourself on to the world's culture and en- enjoy all of that stuff out there. And still, because of right knowledge, have a relationship with God, the, spirit, the physical never impacts the spiritual. John simply says, you cannot do that. You cannot love, you cannot be dedicated to the world, to the society, the culture that exists. You cannot do that and love the Father. And he says, so don't do that. And then he says in verse 16, and he helps you understand what that means by the world. And he helps to describe that in a very uh, just obvious way, in a very full way. He talks about this is what the world looks like. This is what the culture looks like. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This is not from the world, father, but from the world. So to look about that a little bit, um, the word lust, which is used twice, is, is, comes from a word that is fundamentally neutral. In other words, the idea of lust is just the idea of desiring. It's the context that makes it good or bad. And almost always the context is, is bad in the New Testament. But it is the desiring of something. And so he talks about the desiring of the flesh and then in the desire in the eyes. There are two words, in, uh, and I tell you this all the time, and I'll mention it again this Sunday when I preach to John 3.16, for life. Uh, the lust of the life of the flesh. There's two contexts uh, that you see. Um... The pride of life and lust and flesh. The one word is the word bios. We get biology, it means flesh and bones. One is zoe, life is eternal life. What we see here in the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, the word life is the physical life, the fleshly life. What John is talking about here then is the lust that comes from flesh, from seeing and proud of the life you live, the physical fleshly life, not the eternal life, but the fleshly life you live uh, connected with the world and sin. He's describing the very things that the Gnostics would, would pour themselves into. This, by the way, is a description of the lifestyle of paganism. Many of these who are saved now came out of a world of paganism. Some came out of the Jewish world, but by now, this late in the first century, they came out of the world of paganism. And, and that was still surrounding, that pagan world still surrounding them. Uh, all of the cities you think of, uh, of, Ephesus was there, the seven cities you see in, in the book of Revelation, which were all part of that area. They all had these temples uh, to different gods and goddesses. And so this, this fleshly life was all a part of that world. That's how they lived in paganism. So when you, when you lust with, with, with the fleshly things of life, with the, the eyes, he said that's a that's sinful way. That is not the way of the Father. You simply can't live that way and say you are living for Christ, that you're connected to the Father. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. Of course we sin. I get that. But what he's talking about is this willful desire to pour yourself into that lifestyle. The Gnostics said, that's okay. And John, remember, John's the last of the apostles. I mean, this, this guy has lived through the entire breadth and history of Christianity. This is the expert of all experts. This is the one guy who knows. He says, that is not from the Father, from the world. In verse 17, he says this, and the world is passing away, it's lust." And the one, but the one who does the will of the f- God, the Father, lives forever. That world is passing away in the, in the 16th century, uh, the start of the 16th century, end of the 15th, you know, when, when Martin Luther was around. One of the things that really bugged Martin Luther was how worldly the church had become, and in the Catholic church. And I'm not, you know, Catholic background, I'm not speaking against Catholicism, especially Catholicism as we know it today. I'm, I'm talking about what existed historically. Five hundred years ago, and uh, it, it had become so corrupt, so worldly, so so desiring of money. The the, the clerics who took you know vows of celibacy, uh, just you know, they violated those constantly. The popes violated them. They were they just took money from the poor and they just they just sucked the life out of people. Uh, part of what Luther revolted against and rebelled against was not just some of their teachings, some doctrine, but this whole institution of what the church had become. It had become like the world. Uh, At an earlier time, Thomas Aquinas, the great uh, Catholic theologian, one of the popes came to him and said, you know, if if you remember uh, in Acts chapter 3, when the, the man who was a beggar and crippled from birth asked Peter to help him give him some money. Peter and said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. The Pope came up to Aquinas and said, no longer can the church say silver or gold. Have I none? To which Aquinas replied, and no longer can the church say arise and walk. That, that worldly corruption, it is a danger to us. It's a danger to us as individuals. It's a danger to the church, it is easy for a church, for us as a church, to get sucked into the ways of the world. We do a lot of stuff, you know, we have the fancy screens and you know, the, the music and you know, the, all the stuff we do, and and but that's not what we're talking about. But it, it's easy for us to, if we're not careful, to get sucked into that. You constantly have to be on your guard, and you do too. Doesn't mean you can't have nice things, doesn't mean you can't drive a new car. You know, I've got my eyes on a, maybe, you know, this year that new Acura that I want, that, that bad boy's looking better all the time. And I drive my old beat up. I've had that thing for 11 years. It's just, man, it's hard to drive. It's hard. It's cold in the morning. It's cold. The heater, it takes the heater two or three minutes to work, you know, and it doesn't, it go. it takes at least a second longer to get to 60 than it used to. That zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds is up to three something. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the giving ourselves over to the world. In verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. And from this, we know that it is the last hour. So he moves right on in from these false teachers to talk about Antichrist. The word children, there's two words for children that he uses. One is the word techno, which he used earlier. means is a word of endearment. This is a word uh, pedia, which means a child as in needing to learn. So he says, children, you're you needing to learn a little bit. He says, it's the last hour. The, the, so he's going to talk about the last hour in the Antichrist. By the way, the only place in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, the word Antichrist is used is in 1 John. It's used three times. It is never used by Paul. He uses man of lawlessness. John never uses the word antichrist in the book of Revelation. Ever. None. Not at all. Zero. I I mean, at times, but it's not there. Now, it doesn't mean the concepts aren't there, but we need need to, to understand when words are used and not used and how they're used and all that stuff. So he talks about the last hour. They lived with the understanding that they lived at the end. All of them believed that. Peter believed that. Paul believed that. John believed that. It was part of their Jewish roots. And Judaism taught back in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, that is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was the day of ending. So what they understood is, and this is, this is important that you this is so important in the understanding of so much in the New Testament. And so many things you see about this are wrong. And I'm not saying your belief system's wrong, I'm just and, and different views are wrong. I'm just saying if you don't get this part right, you're gonna struggle with understanding things. The time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ is the end times. It is the last hour. It is the last day. It is the final whatever. They understood it that way now in addition there was the last hour of the last hour or there is there was a time at the very end of the end and they understood that within this framework this paradigm of thought of the first and second coming of Christ is that is the end that at the end the end there is a time in the end that'll be even more intense sometimes you've got to work figure all of that out and it can be tough but please understand that they believe they lived in the last time, period. If you don't get that, then it looks like they talk about the end and the wrong. Because they talk about it's hours coming. We live in the last hour. We live at the end times. Well, Jesus is twenty, you know, 2,000 years later. They must have been wrong. No, they weren't wrong. They were right because of how they understood it. They lived in anticipation of the coming of Christ continually. But they didn't dwell on that. They lived their life every day doing one fundamental thing in preparation of the coming of Christ. They shared the gospel. I hear people say, you know, we got to prepare for Christ's second coming. I said, really? I've been doing that for a long time. It's called sharing the gospel. The only thing you need to do in preparation for the second coming of Jesus is share the gospel. What else are you going to do? Make a chart? I know a guy, I've told you before, in my church that I pastored in the middle of nowhere. I walked into his house, I brought me to his house, and he painted on one entire wall this unbelievable graphic mural of the second coming of Jesus with dates and things and figures and all of that. He got it out of Larson's book. And if you don't know what Larson's book is, uh, just look it up. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness. He says, what do you think? I'm like, oh man, I don't want to tell you what I think. What you should have been doing is sharing the gospel. That would have been helpful unless you did this at two in the morning. So here's the thing. I I kid everybody's just in the end times and I'm gonna deal with Revelation in July at a a deep fly, And I'm gonna deal with it in four hours. I'm not gonna spend four years on it. just like probably four hours. And and I I can't wanna know. We wanna know, we wanna know. Live every day. Like it's the last. Because it is. Because that is what Jesus taught. It is what Paul taught. It is what John taught. It is what Peter taught. And if anyone else taught you differently, they taught you wrong. You can have all the millennial beliefs you want to knock yourself out. But you need to get that part right. John says it is the last hour. Now remember, these are the same basic people he wrote to in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation that I preached from two weeks ago on Sunday morning, they were being persecuted to the point of death. So he says this. He says, it's the last hour and you heard that Antichrist is coming and now many Antichrists have appeared. This is how we know it's the last hour because it's the constant battle of Jesus. So what does the word Antichrist mean? The word, uh, you know, Antichristos, Antichristos, uh, can mean one or two things or a combination. It can mean, anti-can mean before, in other words, to replace Christ. The Antichrist can be a replacement of Christ. Or it could be against Christ. Or it could be, probably in John, a little bit of both. There have been, John says, numerous Antichrists. Anyone, John says this, Jesus taught, I mean, Paul talks about it not in the word Antichrist so much, but in other terms. Anyone who is opposed to Jesus is Antichrist. They're against Jesus. So, if you read Sam Harris' stuff, he's a new-style new, new, uh, new uh, atheist. He is an antichrist. He is against Christ. I mean, if you're against Jesus, and, and that's what he's saying here, these Gnostics are antichrists. Why? Because they're denying Jesus as Lord. He's going to talk about that more in a minute. I mean, they are the epitome of being against Christ. Now, is there, Paul talks about a man of lawlessness to come? Yes. There will be someone probably towards the end, the end of the end of the end, that is, is, has a movement that is huge. And, you know, I don't know that it's as big as some people think. I don't know if he's going to be a world dictator. If you think, you know, the beast in Revelation, something, the first beast in Revelation is the Antichrist. Well, you come in July, you'll probably understand that that's not how they understood that back then. They understood it as Domitian. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I, whatever. Yeah, but this is the important thing. Don't misunderstand that anyone who is in absolute opposition to Christ is anti-Christ. I'm not talking about people who don't believe. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about some old boy who says, "Oh, David, you know, I just, I just don't know if I, I, I just don't trust Jesus. I just, I just don't believe." I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person who is in opposition. To Jesus in the way they talk and act and live they are in essence a persecutor of Christ Paul was that way before Acts chapter 9 Paul fit the definition of an Antichrist I know you don't want to call Paul the Antichrist I get that he is not the Antichrist so that's important to understanding what John is saying He's saying these people are against Jesus. Just read it that way. And part of the reason we know we live in the last hour is because people are against Jesus. People have always been against Jesus. And guess what? In America, we're starting to see more and more people against Jesus. It ain't going to change. Our job is to lead people to Jesus, to share the gospel, to help people come to faith. Listen, if you think somehow, that all of America all of a sudden is just going to flip the switch and go back to the way things used to be? You are living in the wrong century. Get ready, because the world and our culture is going to be against Jesus. Because every culture that has existed in human history from the time of Christ, with the basic exception of our culture the last couple of hundred years and a few others, are against Jesus. It is the norm, not the exception. He says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it should be shown that they were not of us. Now, who is this us? It's these Gnostics. There were were people who were led astray within the church. It happens. And they went out and they left the church. And now they'd be teaching falsehood. And people are saying, well, wow, what happened? They just left the faith. And John is saying... They may have given the impression they were part of the faith, but they never were. They left us, and the very fact that they didn't remain in us, abide in us, dwell within us is evidence they weren't part of us. They didn't lose their salvation, so I'm going to deal with that just for a second. I know there are some who believe you can lose your salvation. Well, there's a difference between losing your salvation and losing what you never had. (laughs) Throughout the New Testament, it is clear that there are people who give the appearance of being saved, but are not. They didn't lose anything because they never had it. So I was reading, I was reading and I was, today, I, and I was happened to glance upon the parable of the sower. Jesus talked about the sower sowing seeds. He said, a guy went out and sowed. He sowed the seed. The seed represents the gospel. It landed on four types of dirt, land, dirt, four types of soil, hard, rocky, um, shallow. And fertile. And in doing that, he talks about the seed that landed on the hard pan, the birds snatched up. You know, they never, they never followed, They never gave any evidence to follow Christ. Some landed on the rocky soil, they sprouted up, and then you know the winds came, blew it over. Some landed in the sh- uh, the soil with the with the tears, uh, with the with the weeds in it, and the weeds grew up and choked it out. And then some landed on good soil, produced lots of cru- uh, fruit. Obviously, the soil that landed in the good fruit represents people who are followers of Jesus. And the people, soil landed on the hard, uh, the, hard the, the seed that landed on the hard soil and produced no fruit, or obviously not. But what about the two middle soils? And I've heard people say, well, that's their backsliders. You know, they, they got saved. They gave evidence quickly. But, but, you know, the winds, the tough times, you know, blew them away. And, you know, they, they took root. But, the, this, this, you know, the weeds, the, the lust of the flesh, you know, choked them out. The two middle types of soils are not do not represent followers of Christ. They represent people who gave the appearance. Because of the wording Jesus used, he, he talks about the the seed fell in the rocky soil and it gave root just a little bit. It kind of sprung up. It looked like it was going to produce fruit. But then the trials and tribulations that come with Christianity came and it couldn't survive that and, and it was destroyed. The, the, the one that came into the soil with weeds. It began to sprout up, but the cares of the world choked it. That's a violent term, choked it out. There are always be people who give the appearance for some part of time of being saved, but at some point in their life, they go away from us. We should pray for them, yes. But understand what he's saying. He is saying these folks, because they didn't remain, they're not one of us. These folks that went out with these false teachings were not one of us. He says, but you, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, you know this, the Holy One. The anointing is the idea of being set aside, being sanctified. It's like you're, you're set aside by the Holy One. We would understand the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, he says this, I have not written to you because you not knew the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Paul said, I'm not writing this to you because you don't know these things. Of course you know. I'm reminding you of something. What I'm reminding you of, he says in verse 21, is that you know what is true, and these things that you hear do not ring of truth. You should know this. All of you, who have followed Christ for any length of time. And you, don't even, you don't have to have followed Christ for very long to know that some things just don't sound right. If someone comes up and teaches you something and it just doesn't sound right, probably isn't right. If it doesn't sound like it, like it meshes up, and, and matches up, I should say, with the, the truth of Scripture, then it's wrong. So he gives a very, he gonna, John's going to give several tests in uh, the scriptures, in, in, his, in his epistle. Some very, several very clear tests about faith. And so the first one kind of here is this. Verse 22, important, important, important. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This then is the Antichrist, the one who, because of this, denies the Father and the Son. I'll go through verse twenty-two, and I'm going to talk about this in a little while. Be last talked about tonight. The ultimate test of orthodoxy, of whether or not someone is truly in the Christian faith, is what do they do with Jesus? Oh, I, I, and I hear and I read strange stuff. or I hear strange stuff. Ultimately, what I want to know is what are you going to do with Jesus? And at the end of the day, if they don't. In their understanding of Jesus, understand and teach that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Whatever they teach is false. Jesus, in Matthew 16, said, who do people say that I am? And ultimately, Peter said this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the Christ, the true Christ, the only Christ. There are not many Christs, and there are not, you know, there are antichrists, but there's only one Christ. I was reading something or seeing something today about, you know, some people bringing in a new way of understanding Christianity and a new way of understanding Jesus. (laughs) Anyone who has a new way of understanding Jesus, I would tell you and advise you, you know, run, because there is only one way to understand Jesus, it begins at the cross. It always begins at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus died for our sins. And as he was buried, he was raised back to life. Listen, there are a lot of folks that, I, you know, their views on some things. I'm like, yeah, you know, I may or may not agree with them. And that's okay. You know what I mean? And, and I, and I kind of joke about this. I, most of the things that we deal with, for the most part, if somebody believes something that is different to me, well, I mean, you know, I, there are some things I know when I get to heaven, there's going to be a couple things that I've been wrong about. I get that. I know that. Um, so I'm, I'm okay if on a few things that you know we don't exactly agree eye to eye, That's okay. But understand this. To, to disagree about the very nature of who Christ is? No. That's what the Gnostics were doing. They denied he was the Christ, and John said, you know the truth. Here it is. Listen, I hear people say, well, are Mormons Christians? No. Jehovah's Witness? No. Christian Science? No. They're not scientists either, by that matter. <laughs> Unitarians? No. I mean, I mean there, there, there are even some mainline denominations. I'm like, hmm shaky. Why? Why do you say that, David? Because they don't see that Jesus is the Christ, the only Christ, the only one. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the validity of a historical resurrection. They, they deny all that. They say, well, there's more. you got to add this. you got to put that in there. There's a new revelation. There's a new book. There's new prophecies. There's this. There's that. They keep adding or taking away. And when you add or you take away, No. No. And, and you know, the problem that I have, you know, with some denominations now, is not that they baptize infants, though I don't like that. It's not that they serve wine at the communion. I don't care if they serve wine at communion. I've had bad grape juice before, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if they have, you know, women pastors. I don't care. I don't care if some of that. But here's what they're doing. Some of them are starting to teach that Jesus isn't the only way to God. He is not the Christ. He is a Christ. Run from that teaching. That is the epitome of what is false. Well, I will stop there.